Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Good morning, everyone at Quest. It's good to be with you here this morning. First of all, I'd like to thank Pastor Ross and the church for availing me the opportunity to share today. Don't you just love our church? I am so thankful to attend a church in which we can look at the, uh, the members of our church, the, the church staff, and know that what Paul says when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, that we can interpret this as the same thing and what these associates do. They live and model Christ, and we appreciate that. Before I start, I just want to talk... First of all, I'm excited about a novel that I've been spending years writing. It's my first, and I'm excited to announce that it has been picked up by a publisher. It's called The Lost Astronaut, and will be available online at Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles, and hopefully in some stores in March of 2018. This science fiction novel parallels the life of a biblical character. I'm not going to tell you which one. You'll have to discover it for yourselves. The story is about a young astronaut who must find the courage to trust God with his life and forgive those who betrayed him in time to save humanity. It is an odyssey filled with the tales of space travel, pirates, and aliens, all with a Christian worldview. If interested... You may sign up at my blog, which is at conning.com, that's C-O-N-I-N-G.com, to to receive notifications uh, once the book becomes available. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians 3, and we're going to start with uh, uh, verse 8 through 14. Here the Apostle Paul gives us the roadmap or game plan for achieving God's purpose for our lives. For many of us, we find that we have obstacles that hinder and prevent us from running the race effectively. Imagine running a marathon or signing up for the Quest 5K. You have arrived the day of the the race. You're wearing your best running shoes have your assigned number pinned to your shirt, and the announcer just called all runners to the starting line. As you approach, a fellow runner asks, You're not going to run with that thing, are you? You look down to see what he is referring to, and attached to your ankle is this enormous, heavy ball and chain. This old thing, you answer? Why, certainly it's been with me all my life. Then he says, you're not going to be able to run very effective with that, and it may trip up other runners. Oh, don't you worry about a thing, you reply. I'll be just fine. All right, it's your loss, he responds. Then the announcer calls everyone to the starting line. On your mark, set, and then he fires the gun, and everyone dashes from the starting line. And there you are, dragging this monstrosity behind you. Fellas, wait up. Wait up, everyone, you call out, but no one waits. You struggle along, and then finally you realize that perhaps the other runner was right, 
and that you can't reach your goal while dragging along your past with you. If we attempt to run the race that Christ has for us while tethered to our past, it will only slow us down and prevent us from running effectively. But dealing with our past is neither easy nor trivial. In fact, it is painful to open up old wounds. Even the mentioning of our past can cause trauma as painful memories flood our minds. However, perhaps we should remember the wisdom of the crazy monkey Rafiki in the movie The Lion King. In the movie, Simba is next in line to take his father's throne, but is deceived by his evil uncle, Scar, and runs away. There's a powerful scene in the movie where Simba says, I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. To which Rafiki hits Simba over the head with his staff. Ow, what was that for? asked Simba. It doesn't matter. It's in the past, Rafiki responds, and then laughs. Yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can hurt. But from the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it, responds Rafiki. And then he swings his stick again at Simba, who ducks out of the way, and then after stealing the monkey sticks, sets off to return home to reclaim his throne. So what does forget mean in this passage that Paul is mentioning? The Greek word is actually epilon phanomai, and it simply means to forget, neglect, no longer care for. It is used eight times in the New Testament as both a positive and negative aspect. For instance, positively, in Hebrews 6.10, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. A negative example is in Hebrews 13.2 and 6. Do not neglect, and that word neglect is, is the word epilonthonomai, to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Here in Philippians, Paul is intentionally forgetting certain elements of his past that he sees as hindrances preventing him from reaching his goals. So, what does it practically mean to forget the past? Distinguished teacher, author, editor of Christianity Today, and contributor of the New International Version of the Bible, Frank Gable, states it this way. Forgetting did not mean obliterating the, the memory of the past, but a conscious refusal to let them absorb Paul's attention and impede his progress. He never allowed his Jewish heritage nor his previous Christian attainments to obstruct his running of the race. No present attainment could lull him into thinking he already possessed all Christ desired for him. First and foremost, the things that we are called to forget is our identity. That is anything that we draw upon to find our ultimate identity, the way in which we see and understand ourselves, it is our self-assessment. Everyone longs to find what they call their identity, that thing that makes them truly unique, that gives their life 
purpose and meaning. For Paul, it had been his heritage. Philippians 3, 5 through 7 is actually where Paul described his impressive Jewish credentials. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This term, Hebrew of Hebrews, is defined as someone who has both set of, set of parents who were Jewish descendants, who personally followed a strict observance of the Jewish law, spoke Aramaic, and worshipped at Hebrew-speaking congregations. We know that Acts 22 furthermore says of Paul that he trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, we know that Gamaliel was one of the most eminent Pharisaic rabbis of his time and sat on the Sanhedrin, which is our modern Supreme Court uh, uh, version, and uh, that he had a reputation of great piety. For Paul, this was his identity. And he was quite satisfied in it, in it until one remarkable day as he rode towards Damascus on a mission to persecute the church. He had a life-altering encounter with Jesus. Knocked from his high horse, surrounded by blinding light, he hears a voice from heaven ask him, Why do you persecute me? Lying there on the ground, all his past credentials, all his qualifications could not defend him. The very God to whom he thought he had spent his life defending was now accusing him of persecution. A catchphrase in our day is to have a paradigm shift. Paul's paradigm wasn't just shifted, it was obliterated. There at that moment, his life changed and he would later write, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So, ultimately, where do we derive our identity? Is it from our race, our ancestry, education, Financial status, political affiliation, marital or family status, political, physical abilities, sports teams. These items may be good in and of themselves, but if they become our source of identity, then we have missed the mark. So we ask ourselves, at our core, where do we draw our identity from? When we come into the kingdom of God, we must abandon any pretension of our own righteousness or worthiness in order to accept the righteousness from Christ. Like Paul, we must consider everything to be lost except for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And that also includes other items like our past successes and accomplishments. You don't have to go far to find celebrities Athletes and others who reach the pinnacle of success at a very young age only to struggle later in life trying to reclaim their past glory. Many of these individuals end up sadly 
self-imploding as they wander aimlessly through life, trying to find their purpose. The next item we should focus on forgiving and leaving behind us is habitual sins. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 states, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So what is sin? Sin has been defined as missing the mark, rebellion against God, and an immoral act considered to be transgression against divine law. Here the author of Hebrews states that sin easily entangles us and prevents us from running the race. As believers, we know that Christ died to free us from the yoke of sin. Galatians 5.1 tells us that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The good news is that not only does grace provide us with forgiveness of sins, but it also empowers us to live a godly life. Second Peter 1 verse 3 states it this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So how do we deal with habitual sins? First of all, know that 1 John 2.1 offers us this assurance. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I love David's prayer and humility in Psalms 19 verse 13. He says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And lastly, in Romans 6, we read, We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. If we are waiting for the moment when the desires to sin leaves us before making a commitment not to sin, then we will be waiting a very long time ensnared and entangled. The late evangelist and missionary Steve Hill shares of his own past experience of drug and alcohol addictions. He says, I was an alcoholic to the max. I would drink whiskey, straight whiskey, every day. And I was a junkie. Cocaine up my nose, in my arm, I did it all, friend. And God never delivered me from the desire and the love of drugs. He never did. What happened is that I decided to never touch the stuff or drink booze again. 
I'm not saying that God cannot take the desires from you. He can. He's just never done it in my life or the tens of thousands of people I've worked with over the years. 99% of them had to make a decision. In the game of Monopoly, we are all familiar with the dreaded corner jail slot, which ensnares players and hinders them from continuing. While others are blissfully passing by, there we sit, stuck, unable to proceed in the game and reach our goal. Likewise, sin can easily ensnare us and prevent us from pursuing God's plan and taking hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. However, we must realize that Christ has given us a get-out-of-jail-free card. No temptation has seized us except what is common to man, and God is faithful. If you are entangled in sin, today make the decision to leave it behind. Or if you have previously started on the journey, but have fallen time and time again, then get up once more. Know that you're not alone. Find a brother or sister in Christ to help you on your path. Someone who has been where you are and has made the decision and are walking it. For others, the monster of the past may not be our own sins, but the abuse that we have endured at the hands of others. Whether it be physical, emotional, sexual, or even spiritual. These experiences are so painful that even the mention of them bring back raw memories. However, we must understand that there is no suffering that we have endured, no painful event in which Christ is not greater still. Psalms 147 verse 3 gives us this promise. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah 53 says... Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. There is no abuse No depth of pain that God's grace can't reach deeper still and bring healing. In my own life, I know what it's like to be abused. When I was a child for several years, I was sexually abused by extended family members. While these memories still exist, they don't define who I am. I speak of this not because of my own strength, nor because it is trivial to me, but because Christ's is greater in me than anything I have endured. If you are struggling with the effects of abuse, bring your past to Christ. Allow Him to heal your pain. Do not allow the memory or bitterness to prevent you from obtaining the healing and freedom that Christ has for you. One of the awesome services Quest provides as a church is counseling to you and the community through our Thrive Counseling Center. Counseling rates are discounted at half the normal rates, and scholarships are available through QuestCare to make it accessible to all who want help. And seeking help, 
when we need it, is a sign of strength, not weakness. The last area that I want to cover with of things in which we need to forget and leave behind is regret and failures. This is perhaps a thing that is holding you back today. Maybe you tried to live for Jesus but failed. Maybe your life is so full of regret that you just can't let go. Maybe you're a parent who struggles with regret for how you could have been a better parent. Or a spouse whose marriage has dissolved and you live with regret on what you should have done differently. Perhaps it's regrets in choices made or even in decisions not made. One character in the Bible that every kid loves to read about is Samson. Long before Stan Lee published his many Marvel superheroes, God created his own by bestowing supernatural strength upon a man. It is said of Samson that he slayed over 1,000 men with only a donkey's jawbone. That's better than Thor's hammer. And that he single-handedly tore the gates off a fortified city's wall. However, this great leader of Israel publicly disobeyed God and sinned, and as a result, he was stripped of his strength, blinded, and enslaved. I can imagine how he felt standing there, blind by his own disobedience, embarrassed for the whole world to see. Surely, Samson was full of regret, thinking, What have I done? But in his final hour, Samson called out to God, and his power and his purpose was restored. I find that oftentimes dealing with the past is not a once-and-done event. God often works by peeling back layers in our lives at various times. He will reveal things in his time that we need to work on. I have yet to arrive, but one thing I do is I commit myself to this journey. I like how N.T. Wright says it. He says, true maturity actually means knowing that you haven't arrived and that you must still keep pressing on forward towards the goal. The seasoned athlete knows that the race isn't won and lost until the end has been reached. A couple of months ago, while I was in my own prayer time waiting upon the Lord, the Lord gave me an image, a, vig- uh, a vision of someone who's been on a journey and was at the precipice, who was at a cliff and was able to see that his journey has been reached. And that feeling, that sense of satisfaction and arrival just came over me. And out of this vision came this short story that I'd like to share with you today. The story is called The Stranger in the Desert, and it is available on my blog at conning.com. The stranger pressed on, searching and seeking through the endless rolling dunes of the vast desert wasteland. For as far as the eye could see, there was nothing but hot, scorching sand baked by the noonday sun, hovering overhead in the cloudless sky. Scattered randomly throughout the dunes were small, motionless mounds by which the stranger knelt and brushed the sand from, revealing a person buried in the sand. Awake from your slumber, ordered the stranger. I opened my eyes slowly, blinking several times, squinting in the blinding sun. 
Then the stranger held a canteen up to my lips. Its water was cold and refreshing. As I drank, I was, I was renewed within and came alive. Arise, he said. Then he helped me to my feet and brushed the sand off my shoulders. Pointing, he said, to the east you must go, for there lies a great city, one that will fulfill all your needs and satisfy you. All I ask in return is that you do for others as I have done for you. Then he handed me a canteen and told me that his water shall never cease. In obedience to the stranger's command, I headed east. But it wasn't long before I too came across a small mound and brushed the sand off of another person. I awoke the man and shared the water given to me. I spoke of the great city, and he arose, and together we awoke as many as would join us. Both young and old alike trekked eastward through the perilous desert. However, try as we may, some refused to be awakened and would not stir from their slumber. It wasn't long until the terrain changed to a massive wilderness, a mighty forest with steep mountains and a rushing stream. Many dangers and hardships ensued as we continued to press eastward. As we walked, we encountered stragglers who had gone before us but were now sitting alone with their backs up against the trees asleep. We encouraged them to join us, and while some did, many refused, for they had given up entirely. Then we encountered a man who was coming from the east and heading back towards the desert. With anger in his voice, he yelled as he passed by, There is no city. Your journey is in vain. Turn back now, and don't believe this fantasy. Many traveling with us questioned if we too had been fooled. Had our faith been in vain? Quarrels broke out amongst our group as one of our weary members cried out, How do we know for certain that the city exists? Sadly, I was unable to respond, for I myself had grown tired. For so long we had journeyed and struggled together and marched on through the greatest of threats and adversities. How was I to know for certain that the city existed? For shouldn't we have arrived already? Perhaps our faith was in vain. It wasn't until the youngest among us stepped forward and said something that no one could hear over all the arguing. Undeterred, she pointed and raised her voice. The canteen! Immediately we all quieted and stared at the canteen. Softly she continued, Didn't the stranger promise that the canteen would never run empty? I took the canteen off my shoulder and opened its lid. To the brim, it was still filled with water. True to the st stranger's words, the canteen had never run empty. Amazed at her example of childlike faith, we forgot what was behind us. And together, we pressed eastward with our faith restored and a new determination in our hearts. And then it happened. We arrived at a great cliff, a ledge that overlooked a divide, and across the divide was something our eyes had never seen before. A city so brilliant that it gleamed as bright as the noonday sun, larger and more spectacular than anything we could have imagined. 
It was at that moment, that twinkling of an eye, that all our past struggles and hardships and everything we had overcome faded and all that mattered was standing right before us. For what was before us was far greater than anything in our past. Together, we stood arm in arm at the edge of the cliff, staring at the city with our jaws dropped in amazement and tears streaming down our faces. I looked aside and saw that we weren't alone. Others sent by the strangers had arrived and stood staring as well. Stepping down from the edge of the cliff, we descended onto a narrow hand-forged steps carved into the rock. So slender were these steps that any extra baggage had to be left behind. Then we walked across the divide onto a brick pathway leading into the city. We passed through the city's enormous gates and were welcomed by a great gathering. Colorful decorations were strung everywhere as music filled the air and a fantastic feast was prepared for us. As evening approached, trumpets resounded, and with great excitement, everyone moved quickly towards the gate, shouting with joy. I inquired of one standing nearby what was happening. We're celebrating the return of the prince, he exclaimed, for he has been gone a long time. The gates opened as people aligned both sides of the street, vying to get a glimpse of the prince. He was robed in purple, wearing a crown of gold, and seated atop a white horse. As he passed by, he glanced over at me and smiled. Shocked, I couldn't believe my eyes, for his face was familiar to me, for it was he who started me out on this journey so very long ago. Tears welled up as I realized the depth of his sacrifice, that he left the safety of his kingdom to come and rescue me. For the prince, he was the stranger in my desert. In closing, I'd like to go ahead and just ask everyone to arise. Here at Quest, the way we like to close our services is just by saying a prayer. And I'd encourage anyone who would feel comfortable to go ahead and just raise your hands. We do that as both a sign of surrendering, but also of receiving what God has for us. So as you stand there, we just want to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that's standing. I thank you for what you're doing and that you're moving in our midst. God, you do not want our past to no longer hinder the future and the blessing that you have for us. You want us to walk in freedom. You paid that price by sending your son. And Lord, I pray for everyone who struggles with their identity. Lord, that they would put that behind them and that today they would let go of anything that they find and that they draw upon to assess themselves to find their own identity. And Lord, I pray for anyone who is struggling with, with uh, habitual sins. Lord, I pray that they would make the determination today, uh, that they would make a decision to leave that behind them. Lord, that they would step out and say, God, set me free from this. 
Show me how to walk in such a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, that you would uh, come alongside them in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those, God, who have abuse in their past. I pray, God, that you would move upon them, that any abuse that they're, they're struggling with, God, any memories, I pray for your healing. I pray, God, that you would comfort those. Lord, that if they're holding any bitterness or unforgiveness in their heart, that you would deal with that, in Jesus' name. And lastly, Lord, for those who are dealing with any regret, I would pray, God, Lord, that they would leave the past behind them. Lord, that they would seek you for the strategy that you have. And Lord, that you would redeem this situation in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.